It's time for the Brotherly Love Podcast. Keeping it real on the Philly sports scene since 2014. Listen, I love the Philadelphia Eagles, but we all know drafting has to spend their fortune. That's the opponent. Shake his hand and get to the damn locker room. Whether it's the fight in Bills, the Birds, the Fly Guys, the Process, or a national headline, these two beauties are talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. Here's your host, Joe O'Donnell. I mean, the Eagles had that game, and I hate the Saints. Like, put them at the top of my list now. With the Cowboys, the Giants, the Redskins, the Vikings are up there. Screw them. The Patriots. I hate the Saints now. And John Nita. Jimmy Butler was your best player. So this offseason, I don't care how many millions it takes. Man, that, that intro didn't age well. We already need a new one. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast, SoundCloud, iTunes. What's good? Joe O'Donnell, John Mita with you. Yeah, the Sixers roster is shaking up a bit. We talked about that on our last episode. We're going to dive into a couple of things here on the Brotherly Love Podcast this time around. Follow us on Twitter at BelovePodcast. Uh, hit us up, of course, on our personal cell phones as well. That's always an option. Johnny Mita, what's shaking? Not a whole lot, man. It, it is hot and silly, brother. I mean, it is a sweltering, sweltering day. It's going to be like that for the entire week. It's, it's hot, and it looks like uh, there could be uh, some coaches on the hot seat right now. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's stay sort of in that moment because a, a team that has not been hot recently, last night notwithstanding, are your Philadelphia Phillies. And I'm fired up. I've had enough. Uh, I'm sick and tired of mediocre baseball. You know, again, throw last night out. By the time you're listening to this podcast, who knows at what point it is in the weekend or what have you. Maybe the Dodgers series is over. Maybe they, you know, win the series against the Dodgers. Who knows? But all I can tell you is that last night they pull one out of there, you know what. That gives you an idea of when we're taping this thing. But as the game was going on, which they were winning the entire time last night, at one point it was 6-1, to one. Then it was 6-3, to 6-4, 6-5, and then it looked like they were going to lose the baseball game. Before they totally imploded, before then salvaging the win in miracle fashion, I started to get on my phone, on the notepad, and jot some stuff down because I didn't want to forget anything. All right? So, Johnny Mead, I have a quick question for you, and then I'm going to pretty much just go on a rant. Okay? Do you blame? Uh, yeah. Do you blame the injuries, or do you blame something else right now for the Philly struggles? Is it the manager? Is it the injuries? Like, give me the one thing right now that has cost the Phillies from ultimately being a team we all thought they could be. I mean, to be honest with you, I think it's talent. It's the pitching staff's talent. I mean, I really think they're so lackluster. I mean, they need at least three starting pitchers. You have five, five regulars, like, starters. They need three, and their bullpen is just horrendous. I mean, from top to bottom. You can blame all these injuries once. You can bring Robertson back in. They didn't have touchdown Tommy Hunter and everything else. Listen, if the starting pitchers don't go more than four, if they don't give you six to seven innings, this team has no shot. I don't care how damn good your offense is. Unless your offense is the Los Angeles Dodgers, then maybe you'll be able to squeak out some more games. But other than that, I think it's just, and I think it's the blindness. I think it's, you know, Matt Klintak going into another year 
thinking that Pavetta and Velasquez and all these guys, some of their young pitchers were going to take strides. And you can see right from the start of the season. I mean, there is only one pitcher that you can rely on on the entire staff, and that's Aaron Noah. Other than that, you don't know what you're going to get night in, night out. I know. The inconsistency is maddening. And uh, the news broke, was it last night or this morning, that Matt Klintak and team president Andy McPhail are now getting three-year extensions. Timing seems oh, odd. So odd. I mean, did they, I mean, what are these guys? They have pictures of John Middleton? I don't understand. Like, why wouldn't you just let them play out their contract? I mean, they think, like, they're right there where they need to be. But let's face it, like, this team has holes. And no matter what they – and McPhail just recently, and you probably didn't hear this, showed you being in Iowa, but – like, they failed, kind of essentially came out and said, like, well, and it was also come out that, I mean, somebody else reported, like, unless the, the Phillies came out red hot after the All-Star break, like, with these seven games with the Nationals and Dodgers, like, if they were able to go 5-2 and two or 6-1 and one through the miracle of Christ, then, that maybe they would be buyers at, at the trade deadline. But I, I, I got to be honest, the other thing is, you know, you want you want to rethink, you want to give these guys contract extensions, and now I'm looking at it right on the board on Comcast Philly. But like, what have they done in the farm system? Like, what have they done? Like, don't get me wrong. I thought the offseason they made a trade for JT Real Muto. They signed Bryce Harper. But but the one thing, their blindness towards the talent of their pitching staff is costing this team. And with you, I, I think it's that. And I, I got to be honest with you, man. I, I really don't think. I don't think Gabe Kapler has the clubhouse. I really don't. I think some people think he's kind of like gimmicky. We kind of saw this with Chip Kelly, right? You know, he was going to come in. He's going to monitor everybody's sleep patterns and tell them what to eat. And listen, first year, it was, um, you know, pretty successful. I think they might have went 10-6 and six in his first year. Yeah. And But, but. After that, I think they went ten and six both years. His first two years, but they missed the playoffs. The second year is one of those odd years, and then they were like seven and you know, or five and seven or something. And he got gassed, or seven and eight, or whatever it was. Yeah, he got gassed because everybody just had enough. I mean, everybody from in the organization, what a crumb bag he was. And um, but and then you look at the farm. Did you? This what I don't understand. Like with our farm system, like. How come our farm, we never have any talent? We never have these prospects to come up and do anything. And if you look at it, like, seriously, like, who is the last prospect to come through the system and maybe make, now, Scotty Jetpack looks like he could be legit, which is awesome because, you know, we had reservations, like he was kind of struggling. Yep. Um, You know, and apparently they told, apparently Gabe and, and the staff told him to change his approach, say, hey, don't worry what we said. Why don't you go back to what got you here? And apparently that's why he is more successful with his approach to the game. That's just so, what does that tell you? They're like, go back to the, and he's, and you look at the players that they lost, like, um, or not lost, but, you know, got rid of the offseason, the J.P. Crawford, the Carlos Santana. I mean, these guys are all having pretty good years. So that makes you think, is it is it the, the, the coaching staff, is it, the, the approach that these guys are, I, I don't know, man. I, I think, to be perfectly honest with you, I, I would like to see a house cleaning. Definitely with, I, I, I know you don't want to fire your manager midseason, and at this point, what difference would it make? But 
I really think if this team stumbles greatly, which they've been doing it, keep in mind, too, last year they stumbled heavily. Now, this team's a little too talented to stumble like this, but but at the same time, I mean, I think everyone's at fault here, Joe. I think from the president, McPhail, to Clintac, to, you know, Gabe and his coaching staff, and and, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not giving the players a free pass. I mean, when they got bombed 16-2 two, two nights ago, that was so embarrassing. That fourth inning, to watch them, it was like watching a Little League team play, I know. which is just ridiculous. And, and you got to see the lineup they're throwing out there tonight. They got Nikki Six Williams in left field. They got Miller and, and Hazley in their outfield. So we'll see how they do tonight. But man, the cupboard is definitely bare in the minor leagues. And that's the other thing. Like, so if you're going to make a move at the deadline, most of the times you got to give up some prospects. But right. We really have no prospects. Like, what are you going to give up, Cole Irvin? Well, I mean, you go, you go, you go back even a number of years, Johnny Mita, when they were winning and and making the deadline deals as as buyers. You know, did any of those guys pan out? What they gave up for a hundred pence or what they gave up for a rental bat? You know, f- yeah. four years. I mean, what? Yeah. Where where are those guys? I don't I don't hear anybody. Trust me, if those guys, if those prospects they gave up were blowing up, were now all stars, people would be like, man, yeah. Phillies. You know, hey, that's the price you pay for a rental. But we don't even yeah. hear that. So, well, we don't even hear that. And again, you bring up a fabulous point. All these players are assets. You know, these minor league players that we're training in our farms, and they're not turning out to be anything. Again, man, I think we need to relook at you know our scouting department. I mean, how can we can't get any Latino players that make noise? I mean, we know, like we just, I don't know. You look at teams like. Like, I think the greatest example of baseball is a team like the Tampa Bay Rays. Obviously, their attendance is around 12,000, but... Well, man, their payroll they're, they're, stinks, too, but they seem to find a way to at least compete most years. But, I mean, that's but look what the, the Braves have done. Look what the Braves have done my, within the division. Yeah. Oh, I, I, they got studs coming up. Every, you know, who was it? Acuna? He's nasty. Who's the other Albies? Young? Ozzie Albies they've got? Yeah. The short stuff? What was the other kids? What's the other kid's name that they brought up? Well, they had like Hayward that. at one point came up through their system. He's turned out yeah. to be a pretty good player. Now he's moved on, yeah. obviously, but yeah, uh, no, I mean, and, and like you, and again, like the Richard, you know, the Richard teams, like the Yankees and Red Sox, man, they always just pull ball. Like, look at like okay, so like if you look at like the Phillies, like best players in the last let's say twenty years, okay, um, you know, or maybe go back fifteen years, but you know, Chase Utley. Ryan Howard and, and, and Jimmy Rollins were like, they were all homegrown. Cole Hamels, like, yeah. And Cole Hamels, right? right. And, that's and Burl, Burl like, was a draft pick. And Burl was a draft But again, after Cole Hamels, yeah. he won pictures that we drafted has come up and, and has been significant. Obviously, Aaron Nolan. Right. Okay, fine. Gotcha. But that's one guy. Yeah. And how many No, I mean, years? they added you Lee, know, it, they added Halliday, they right, added Oswald, right, they added Bland, right. and all that whole staff was yeah. were guys they brought in. Oh, it's a good point. It's a good point. All right. So here's what I've got on the fills. All, all right. right. And I'm just going to – I'm going to go here for a minute. I apologize if I'm over yeah. the top or whatever. But no, underachieving, sorry. you know, underachieving, no doubt about it. A massive disappointment, Right. And I, I don't care about the injuries. I asked you about the injuries a minute ago. I don't care. I know what the numbers are without Andrew McCutcheon. 
I know that they're they've had eight relievers on the injured list. It used to be called the DL. It's the injured list now. Like I get it, but I, I it it doesn't matter to me. I just don't care. All right, there those are excuses. You should be good enough. You should be deep enough. You should have the resources to make your team successful. And look, they could last night's come from behind win. I could throw all this out the window and burn this podcast two weeks from now. Maybe last night's the difference. Maybe last night is exactly what they needed. I'm just not buying it. On Gabe Kapler, it's time to go. That's how this thing works. The team looks unfocused and sloppy all the time. Someone has to be held accountable. You don't fire players. You trade players. Doesn't happen as much as gassing the manager. And to your point, it doesn't look like he has the clubhouse. Now, I'm going to throw something out there that 12 years ago, 13 years ago, whatever it was, I might have, like, I would have never uttered these words. But I'm just going to say it. Because Charlie Manuel's been around the ballpark a lot. Now, they've been retirement ceremonies, the all-star extravaganzas, working with the young kids at the Future League game. He's a special instructor in spring training. And I know Chuck's up there, and health-wise, he's probably not great. But I'm just saying, Charlie Manuel's around all the goddamn time, and I'm pretty sure he can get guys to play for him. All right? Now, when you're a player's manager, you've got to do one thing. And really, this is all across the board, coaching and managing. If you don't win, you're screwed. But specifically, being a player's manager, you're screwed. Because by all indications, Kapler's a likable guy. The guy's supposed to like him. He played like he gets it. He's easy on them. You know? But if you don't win... You're absolutely toast. And I I just don't understand how he continues to defend some of this nonsense. All right? And I don't even want to get started on his demeanor and his appearance because he's becoming a hate-the-face guy. Have you noticed, Johnny Mita, he shaved? Have you noticed this? I have noticed that. Yeah. I mean, when I and when what he looks beard, now, he looked like right, a different guy. Right. Now, look, what, look at him closely tonight, tomorrow, whenever. Because he's clean-shaven as hell. He's shaving, like, before the first pitch. Now, Gabe Kapler is so tan, fresh from the deep fryer, get your tanning bed sponsorships ready, that he, like, is white underneath the hair on his face. So he looks weird now, clean-shaven, because he's not as tan where his little scruff was for, like, his entire life. So just take a look at Gabe Kapler lately. I mean... I, he's becoming a hate-the-face guy. I, I can't stand him. Michael Franco doesn't run hard. So you bench him. For five innings, the second you need him to pinch hit, he comes up? Like, show some moxie. I know his stance has been, we got to field the best team. Punishing the team doesn't hurt the greater good, right? Segura, great player. We need him. He doesn't run hard. I can't sit him out. So now when Franco screws up, and Franco's a bum, and we all know it, you bench him the next day, allegedly. Well, he had some groin tightness, but we're going to sit him because he didn't run hard. And then you bring him in the sixth inning to pinch hit. That doesn't prove a point to anyone. You have to tell these guys. You have to show these guys. If they don't respect you, if they don't respect the game, they're going to get benched. That's the only time they're going to wake up because now you're hurting the team and you're hurting your personal bank account at the end of the day. Because a guy that gets benched a lot and doesn't play ain't getting a mega deal when his contract is up. you got to have the players respect you, and I don't know that's the case right now with his manager. All right, now to the players. 
Who are the leaders on this team? Who are the leaders on this Phillies team? Because last year there was a meltdown, and then they had that offseason story about what a gong show it was in the clubhouse. So is it the guys that are back? Are they just bad guys? Is Real Muto not a leader? Is Segura not a leader? What's Harper doing? Where are the new guys stepping up and changing what appears to be a culture that's broken? Were they not vetted, the new players, when they were signing them for their leadership and clubhouse presence? Did that not come into the conversation when they're doing their homework on these guys to trade for and to sign? I mean, look at the Dodgers right now. They compete every single pitch. They were up 14 freaking runs on the Phillies the other night and playing like they were down one in the ninth. They were still grinding. And that starts with the manager. It has to. And the leadership. And I know they have a winning pedigree. I know those guys have been there and done that going to the World Series last two years. So they're hungry and they know how to win. And I'm not expecting the Phillies to be at that level. But there just looks like so much of a lack of focus on this Phillies team that makes their lack of talent just magnified. You know, that's the reality. Or it could be the reality. Is that the Phillies just don't have the talent. Something you talked about. The front office has 10 days to figure this thing out. Fire at the trade deadline or pray to the baseball gods and hope this team sneaks into the playoffs. But you're right now competing for a wild card spot with Colorado, Milwaukee, St. Louis, Arizona. One of those teams is going to get hot. The Nationals have been on fire. Like, you're not going to catch two, three, four teams playing slightly above 500 baseball in August and September. Somebody's going to go on a run. If it's not the Phillies soon, it's going to be one of these other teams and they're going to be left in the dust. And this is going to be a major disappointment for not only the city, but the organization, if they don't make the playoffs this year. A major disappointment. Maybe one of the more disappointing and underachieving teams we've seen. Throw out the injuries. I don't care. Play better baseball. Fire the manager. Send a message. Do something to infuse some energy in this team that will be consistent. There's too much inconsistency. The front office is getting paid and now getting an extension to figure it out. I'd like an answer sooner rather than later. So let me pose a question to you. What I mean, what do you do at the trade deadline? Do you try to add a piece? I mean, technically they're not out of the wild card running at all. No, I mean they're right so, in it. If playoffs start today, they're in. You know, one of those right, they're, right. they're that close. But I look, they have to identify what's out there. I don't know what's out there. I can read the reports and see the rumors, but you know, it's more than just one thing needed. They could use another bat in the lineup, especially if Jay Bruce now with an oblique injury is gonna be out any length of time. We know they need relief pitching. That's not a secret. And their starters stink. So you can't just make one move. You can't just add a middle reliever and think this team's going to win 90 games, 95 games. You can't just add one starter. They they need to either infuse some talent from the minor leagues, give some kids a chance, and they got to cut bait on these clowns that have been middling for three, four years. Or they just got to say, screw it. It is what it is. We made our money back on Harper and jersey sales and ticket sales, and we'll try and get them next year. All right, Johnny Mita, got that off my chest uh, on the fills. Um, let's jump to the Sixers. Ben Simmons is going to get paid a max contract extension, a super max uh, contract, whatever the hell that means. Five years, $170 million being reported, no option the final year, and a 15% trade kicker. I don't know what the hell that means. That's from Woj. Woj bomb, Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN. Ben Simmons, we talked about a couple weeks ago. I thought it was too soon. I thought it was crazy talk. You and I kind of surmised that maybe, you know, if he's under this deal in a year or two from now, you realize he's not going to peak or uh, 
gain any more traction as in, as an NBA star that maybe having him under this deal could possibly allow him to be moved. But uh, your reaction to five years and $170 million for a guy that can't hit an 18-footer? I mean, I, I just, I guess it was a necessary evil. Again, like, why not wait another year? I mean, technically, you have him under your control just, just to see what's going on. I mean, you look at a guy like, look at the deal that went down and people, you know, some people that follow the NBA closely, but look at what Oklahoma City got for for um, for Paul George. I mean, they got like four first-rounders. I mean, it was a massive deal. So, like, Ben Simmons younger, maybe team feels like if they had him in their system, they could, they could basically, you know, get a lot more out of him than what the Sixers are getting out of him, but... To be honest with you, I wasn't happy about the news. And, you know, I, I'm not happy about his agent in general. Rich Paul, he is a scumbag. Yeah, he's the worst. Um, you know, again, LeBron's agency. Apparently, I just read an article that Marcus Morris had like a four-year deal with the Los Angeles Clippers, like four years, $41 million. And Rich Paul told him to turn it down. And so then he turned down the deal. And then it turns out that would have been the best deal he got, you know, four years in security at like – $10, $11 million each. So now he signed a one-year deal with the Knicks for one year's $15 million. But apparently he didn't want him to sign with the Clippers because then he would compete with LeBron. And again, that was what I'm talking about with the King collusion and Le- LeBron's people just controlling the NBA and making sick. But And then apparently this deal was held up by there was like certain language that they wanted to iron out. But as far as Ben Simmons goes, you know he was supposed to play in this Australia, this FIBA tournament, in China, so it was like, okay, the guy's been working on his jump shot. Let's see him play against real competition because there's going to be some NBA players that, you know, real, real legit competition. And maybe it's a perfect way for him to to basically get that confidence and be able to pull the trigger against real competition. But apparently he has pulled out of that now. He has said he wants to focus. He's going to come back to Philadelphia and take the month of September and you know, get reacquainted with his teammates, but my God, I, I, I hope he is working on his game. He's not, dude. He's not. He would have done it last summer. I don't don't even go down this path with yourself. It's not going to happen. Mean, I'm, dude. I'm with you. Listen, I was a big proponent. You know, I called radio stations here, and I, I would have traded him for the number two overall pick. No, I, I know. would have taken John Moran. Yeah, like, I, I know. I mean, I'm, I'm all like. I mean, I, I'm holding out hope, man. I really am. I hope, but I'm very skeptical, man, because, like, I just didn't see the improvement. Like, here's the deal. The guy averages 17 points a game, right? I think he could legitimately be a 25-point scorer in this league with everything that he does. So he's 17 points. So how do you get to 25 points? You, well, get, well, you, you, you make three more, four more baskets for crying out loud. Just shoot, right. the, three or four. shoot the ball. Well, here's the well, here's the other thing. And get to the free throw line more and make more. So if you're shooting at a 58% clip right now, if you shoot the ball at 70% and you go to the line, you know, four to six more times a game, boom, there's your 25 points. I know. Outside jump shots, it's right there. You know what they need, John Mita? You know what they need? They need the Flyers. They, They need the Flyers fans to come to Sixers games and pretend it's a power play. You know when the puck's yeah, being yeah. moved around the perimeter, everybody's yelling, yeah. shoot! Yeah, yeah. That's what they need. They need somebody 
Like maybe we can get him a little earpiece where Brett Brown can yeah. be like, shoot it, shoot it. Yeah, shoot it, Ben. Shoot it. I mean, it's oh, just God. he has it, no confidence just... in it, and it's he doesn't want to be embarrassed. I guarantee you. Well, that yeah, well that that's also part of the problem, right? So he has so you know, much of an it... image issue that he doesn't want to go one for eight from the field with some real yeah. looks at the basket for fear of getting chirped, booed, social media. I'm telling you, that's got to be part of it. Why else would you not try and shoot the ball? You're a basketball player. That's what you do. I, I couldn't agree with you more. What I don't understand either is, like, I just don't understand how you go through your entire career yeah, and never learn how to shoot the ball. It's crazy. It's just, it's just like, and where is, like, and, and the other thing is, too, man, I think a lot of times, like, I think his family needs to take a step out. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think they need to let him, like, I, I don't think his brother should be a shooting coach, number one. I think they need to get him a sports psychologist and get him a brand-new shooting coach. And I think if they do those two things, I think there's a shot that there could be some improvement. I got some. Re- that happen? Go ahead. No, I was going to say I got some revisionist history for you, uh, something else you weren't happy about. You ready for this? This is from this is this is from your infamous call to ninety seven five the fanatic, which we found out listener Dave DeBello of the Brotherly Love Podcast was driving around and heard this call right after the draft. Move up, right? Move up. You got uh-huh. Brandon Clark sitting on the board and you don't take it to get done. Proven play, defender, better shooter than symbol. See, why you got to take a shot at him with his name already? All right, now so, we, so that, why you got to take a that's shot? That's where the call gets off the rails because uh, Tyrone Johnson or whatever the heck his name is on 97.5, the Fanatic, did not like you taking a shot at their first-round pick. Thibel calling him Thimble. Uh, but the first name you mentioned, John Mita, during that call, you said you were really upset. You gave the – I think you gave him an F. He asked why. You said they should have taken who? Brandon Clark from Gonzaga. This guy that was a, who was basically, he started his career at San Jose State, then he went to Gonzaga to finish out his last two years. He's an incredible athlete, very good defensive player, shot blocker. He's 6'9", about 220, 225, has an outside game, has like a little bit of a mid-range game. I thought he could bolster the Sixers' front court. So when I was shocked, the fact that he was still on the board. And I'm like, all right, man, this is the guy we can make a play for. So, again, they don't take it. Now, it turns out what happens. Well, he only goes to Las Vegas Summer League and wins the MVP. That's what happens. So, Brandon so, Clark, the guy you wanted MVP of the Summer League. MVP of the Summer League. The other guy, Carson Edwards, that I was talking about, okay, that Danny Ainge, well, the, the Celtics just signed this kid to a four-year deal. So, they want to talk about that some of these second-round picks weren't worth it because you didn't want to tie up money. I think they did the Celtics. It did like a four-year deal worth, I don't know, nine million dollars, which is like what two million a year. The guy averaged 19 points a game in 23 minutes. He shot like 47 percent from the floor and 45 percent from the three-point line. But now we can't use more shooters on this team. So anyway, sorry, to get, sorry to get you upset again, but I know. Well, I mean, I know after well, Brandon Clark won that MVP of the summer league. You wanted to prove to the Brotherly Love podcast listeners that you knew what the hell you were talking about. Well, it's just like, again, it's like you look at these teams. I'm, I mean, listen, I'm a Joe Schmo fan, okay? Do I file this closely? Yes. Do I, 
Do I watch all these college games? Am I a nerd about it? Of course I am. But I just don't know how some of these front offices can't pick out some of these players. Like, it, it, it's mind-blowing to me. And I could go through some of the Eagles players that they missed on that I thought they should. I mean, I mean the list goes on and on. But we'd, be mean, doing, we'd be on the air. We'd be. This would be a four-hour podcast if that was the case, and I would take a nap while you just rattled off all the safeties they missed on an offensive lineman over the years. <laughs> exactly. Uh, exactly. And running back. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. So, Let's, anyway, uh, so let's, thank you for yeah, thank you for playing that clip. You're and welcome. Giving me some validation. And, uh, you know, we'll move on from there. You're welcome. Let's jump to the National Football League. Not a lot of Eagles news lately, but the NFL owners have finally brought to the table officially, I guess, what we've heard about for a long time is the uh, proposed regular season to 18 games rather than 16 games, you know, and then there's there's a lot of fine print and ways that, you know, players don't, roster sizes might change and... You know, players don't have to play every game. There may be an extra bye week. Like, there's a lot, a lot to digest here. But just let's take it at the surface. At some point, the NFL goes to 18 games. John Mita, good or bad? Oh, here's the deal. As a season ticket holder, I wouldn't mind seeing 18 season games because the fact that I got to pay for two preseason games that are just laughable jokes, and I got to pay the full vote for them. You know, why not cut off two preseason games and give you two regular season games? Now, I understand the whole health issue. I get it. I, I get that 100%. You know, bottom line is the NFL owners are now proposing, well, okay, you can only play 16 games. So every player in your team is eligible to play only 16 games. So not everyone can play. But when you do the math like that, when it comes down to, well, wait a minute. So we're making a playoff run and we need to win the last two games of the season, but we don't have some of our best players eligible. I think that's the problem where you're running. That's flawed. I agree. That's flawed, flawed. and that that affects fantasy football. Don't discount what a big part of that. You know, that is the business. Oh, Oh, yeah. That affects a lot of things. Um, Think think about the other gambling aspect. Is if like Now do you root root for a guy to get hurt? (laughs) Like, oh, if he misses week 15 due to injury, uh, then he comes back and, you know. Well, what do you, you got to sign a long snapper for two games? Because right. you're a long snapper? I mean, so there's a lot of issues. And he, it all comes down to money, 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 yep. money. But the bottom line is this. Like, I think I think it's workable and feasible. But the players are going to like, this is what they're going to take a stand on. I think this is what's going to happen. If they want to have, the owners really want this 18-game season to take place, I think a couple things are going to happen. Number one, they're going to have to lose the franchise tag. You know, none of these players are going to want to play under the franchise tag. I think that'll be something that'll be negotiated in the next CBA. The second thing is they're going to want more guaranteed money. It's all about guaranteed money. In every professional sport, how much money is guaranteed to me? That is the bottom line. If they can make that happen, because, like, let's face it, NFL contracts, none of them are guaranteed. I mean, you're guaranteed basically your signing bonus or your roster bonus, but other than that, nothing is guaranteed, whereas other sports, and obviously it also has to do with there's only a 16-game season and I get everything else. But So I think those will be the two biggest issues that the players will fight for, you know, franchise tag and guaranteed money. And, you know, an 18-game season I think would be cool. I mean, two more weeks of football, but it's not the love about that. I think it's a, I think it's a pipe dream. I think the players are going to fight it so hard unless, like you said, they're able to recoup that money. Now, 
I would argue I, I would argue this for the owners. I would argue, you know, two games if you played eight years of two extra games, now that's like one extra season. So how much wear and tear is it really? Most guys don't play seven, eight years to begin with. So now if you're an eight-year pro, you've really played nine years of a guy from a different generation. Does that, that logic make sense? So I guess what I'm saying is it's not really that big of a deal, or at least from my vantage point, to add two games. The players, how much can they really have a leg to stand on as far as the wear and tear on their bodies when you look at it from that perspective? But I'm with you. If they get paid enough money, I'm sure they'd up the games. Uh, but I, I don't know about, you know, if you're going to start messing with roster sizes or how many games certain player play, it's just going to be more fodder to be talked about, but it's going to be more confusing and at the end of the day possibly water down or taint the product, which is the problem the other sports leagues have right now to begin with because of so many games. Well, the other thing is due to boost, right? So, like, like maybe you just boost the roster, you know? It's a 53-man roster, you know? So maybe you can move that up to 63, and then that way the players will feel like, I'd say the one I'd say the one trend in sports that I you know I clamored when the NHL was going to Las Vegas first I thought it was great because you got to be the first sports team there if the NBA or NFL had gone there first maybe the Vegas Golden Knights would have less luster initially I would clamor for the other way around for the other sports like the NBA's talked about scaling down their regular season significantly that to me is way more attractive appealing and has a better chance of happening because this way they've talked about now the stars don't have to rest. Now guys can play. There's not as many back-to-backs, and that makes your product better. Now you've got a lot of revenue to recoup somehow on the other side of that, and that will be that hurdle. But I think there's a better chance of seeing NHL, NBA, MLB go backwards in games played as opposed to the NFL going forward. I mean, honestly, I think they could set the baseball season down to 140 games. Again, that'll come down to money as well, but... Well, I mean, just think, then we, would, then we wouldn't have to see Vince Velasquez and Jared Eikhoff and Nick Pavetta like three more times each. I mean, I think that would be brilliant. Well, Pavetta, he's off to a good start, Joe. Bases loaded with one out in the first inning. Awesome. I don't know. I don't know if you're not, if you're not watching. But not no. yet. I will be. That'll be my evening. Gritting my teeth and being angry at the television set because of the Phillies. All right, Johnny Mita, yeah. see you in a couple days, brother. Looking forward to it. Good stuff as always. You got it, brother. Appreciate, Great job, as appreciate everybody tuning in on the Brotherly Love Podcast at Twitter. Be Love Podcast. All love and support. Much appreciated. For John Mead at Joe Donald, until next time, go Phils, maybe, and we'll see. Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com.